Every lady needs a hobby. A Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries podcast. I'm Mackenzie. I'm Genevieve. This week we're reviewing season three, episode six, Death at the Grand. This is the spooky hotel episode. Hotels <laughs> <laughs> not that spooky though. There's definitely some spooky shots of the hotel itself. The guy, the murderer, is spooky. He's like creepy. Not as creepy as the poker player, though, actually. I kind of like the poker player. Like, like he's intriguing to me. Yeah. I do think you you raise a good point, though, that, like, it would be nice if the if the plot had had more, like, ghost stuff in it. Like, this hotel is haunted. <laughs> is the murderer a ghost? You know? That would have been, yeah, that would have been an interesting twist. Because we don't, in this episode, we do not find out who the murderer is. The identity is unknown. Do we ever find out? Yeah, in the last episode. Oh, I don't remember. It's the guy who is saying that the Baron stole his title and all of his money, and he was, like, dead in the war, and then comes back. I forget, actually, all the ins and outs of it, but it's the, yeah, it's the guy that, in the last episode, makes a reappearance. You know, I think that when I watched the last episode, I was beside myself that they still had not kissed, and... (laughs) I couldn't pay attention to anything except for that. Like, very honestly, literally, that's what happened. (laughs) I see. Um, Yes, this murderer does come back into the picture in the last episode. Okay, interesting. All right. (laughs) It's hilarious that you don't remember that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah. (laughs) Although this episode, so I, I... thought I liked this episode more than I did on the rewatch. And actually, I find it, like, not that compelling. Um, But I do like the hotel setting because it's, like, a classic murder mystery um, setup. And then I also love the waltz at the end. And I think I forgot how much I loved it. So on the rewatch, I was like, okay, I like this episode. Not as much as I thought I did. And I think I was going into, like, At Bertram's Hotel, which is a really good Agatha Christie book that takes place in a hotel. And I was just like reading a lot more into it than is actually here in the episode. Yeah, it's not my all time favorite either. I like it. But yeah, it's like there's the waltz. But other than that, the sexual tension isn't like high and the murder is a little bit like what? (laughs) Um, But I love the dot side plot, you know? Yes. Dot Dot gets some sexual tension in this episode, which I do enjoy. And we get Aunt Prudence at her irate best. So, <laughs> Oh my goodness, when she tells off Henry at the Twilight Waltz. It's so epic. <laughs> I love it. So should we get into it? Yeah. Oh, housekeeping first. So probably all of you who subscribe to the Adventuresses Club list saw that Miss FisherCon is canceled, which is really sad. Um, but that's the world we live in now. So just a heads up on that front. Yeah. Yeah. I was sad to see that. Um, I guess a lot of cool stuff is canceled. So (laughs) bummer. Yep. Anyways, not much more to say on that front. And then the movie I believe is now available to purchase digitally everywhere. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, you should definitely get on that. <laughs> and eventually we'll do a recap once we confirm that it is available everywhere where all of our listeners are. So look forward to that, listeners. It's going to be a really freaking long episode. But the good news is, what else are you doing? <laughs> also, the movie is great. And I cannot, cannot wait to recap it for you. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so many shots of Jack without his jacket on. Anyway, oof, we'll get to that Ooh. when we get to it. Okay. In the meantime, season three, episode six, Death of the Grand. Yeah. Okay. 
So in the cold open, we see a man fleeing across what looks like a roof. Uh, he stops to hide something in some sort of nook. Uh, he's followed by some sort of tough guy who demands that the man hand over what he's carrying um, and also says, where's the money? But then he pushes him over the edge after I think he does he throw a knife at him. It's a little unclear. He stabs him. He stabs him. OK, I thought that was what yes. was happening. Yes. Um, and then it becomes clear that he's thrown something down. When he hit it in the nook, he threw something down a chute of some sort. And it was intercepted by the maid, who is quite intrigued by this find. Um, so that's the cold open. So then up next, uh, we're at Miss Fisher's house where Dot is receiving gun lessons in the parlor, which is such a hilarious scene. It's so good. I was wondering if you got Rob's opinion on this one. Oh, I meant to I meant to have him watch it, but he's out mountain biking. Um, so uh, during this little lesson, Aunt Prudence arrives and is displeased to have a gun pointed at her. Uh, she's a delicate matter to discuss and... Um, turns over a telegram to Franny from her mother asking for urgent financial help. But, so, but Franny had given the Baron money and shipped him off to England. What could be going on? <laughs> could it be that the Baron is unreliable? How could yeah. this be? How could this have happened? Uh, it's, you know, it's a little bit actually unbelievable that Miss Fisher would just give him 10,000 pounds instead of wiring that money directly to her mother. Like after all these years... I know. I was like, why did she not wire the money? But I, maybe she's just trying to help her dad save face. But she's so, like, obviously angry at her dad. I don't know why she would be helping him out. But Who knows? Um, or maybe, no, I don't know why. Um, we also learned in the scene that the Mauser pistol is missing. Oh, right. That's gun important. collection. Yes. That's important. Must have been in the overnight bag. Um, so As then, one does, you know. Just... Yeah, I was like, Jesus, was it loaded? I mean, what? <laughs> This does not seem like good gun safety. And so they say, oh, didn't you take it with you to Lake's entrance? And I was like, where is that? What is that? Is that a reference to a previous episode? I think it's just a vacation destination. I actually meant to look it up and didn't. But Maybe she was doing some shooting. I'm just going to look it up real quick. Maybe it's a famous shooting range in Australia. That's Yeah, maybe it is. <laughs> Lake's entrance, Australia. Okay, this is promising. It comes up. A coastal town in eastern Victoria, known for Gippsland Lakes, a vast system of inland waterways. Uh, 90-mile beach. Mm. Wildlife, pelicans, dolphins. I'd go there. Yeah, looks like it's a vacation destination that you might bring a gun to. Cool. Yeah, why why did she need the Mauser? Versus her little pistol that she always has with her. I don't understand. Kangaroo pride. Maybe it was, um, yeah, I don't know, an episode yet to come about the the mystery that she solved in Lake Entrance. Could be. <laughs> we'll never know. We'll never know. Season four. <laughs> there is no season four, listeners. Um, okay. So uh, just then, the inspector telephones. He needs help at a crime scene, as usual. Well, no, this isn't usual. He's calling her, specifically asking for help. Oh, yeah. Usually she just shows up at the same time as him because yeah. she knows there's been a murder. Although um, we find out later, he has a reason that he calls her besides just wanting her help. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Miss Fisher shows up at said crime scene um, where we see a reappearance of one Neville Martin, fill-in <laughs> constable for Hugh. Uh, <laughs> and the victim is seen lying in the yard and um, he's identified as the concierge of the hotel, Frank McNabb. He's been stabbed and he has a bag with Franny's name in it. What? 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 <laughs> what? He 
also has foreign cigarettes, but that's just a red herring. It never comes into play again. Yeah, unless they're supposed to be Valenskys. Oh, probably that's what the reference was. Yes. Yeah. Also, like, why were the cigarettes just sort of sitting on his head? (laughs) Well, he didn't fall, like, from the roof. Like, they might have just been in his pocket and fallen out and then fallen on his head. I guess so. Um, so then Jack and Franny go into the hotel, uh, where we see a maid, the same maid as from the cold open, looking a bit suspicious, hiding something hurriedly in some kind of cupboard. Um, and then Jack and Franny investigate the hotel safe with the owner, Mrs. Cobb. Um, there's a trail of blood leading away from the safe and going up to the roof. And we learn that only Mrs. Cobb and Frank, the murder victim, would have had keys. So, uh... The theory is that McNabb, the concierge, snatched the bag from the safe and fled up the stairs in some kind of robbery situation. And then Phryne also asked to look at the guest register and then discovers. Right. Yes. She uh, quickly is developing a theory (laughs) that her father is staying at this hotel. Uh, So they go upstairs and knock on room 23 where giggling can be heard from behind the door inside the room is the baron and who but the maid eat it good old daddy yeah drinking champagne it would appears to be like approximately 10 a.m yeah this is like mid-morning yeah i mean honestly probably earlier because like as soon as you find that body you're going to be calling the police so that's like a first thing sort of a situation oh yeah like it could easily be like 8 a.m yeah so they're having some champagne um he quote missed the boat um and miss fisher is beside herself with anger and uh yells at him a bunch and tells jack that she doesn't want to be in the case anymore and storms out uh it's just like I know it's like she has every right to be angry, but it's also just pretty funny. Oh, yeah. Jack is just like observing like, okay, so this is happening now. He loves it. He loves it. It's funny, though, because it's like she does very quickly or very obviously like revert to this like uh, father daughter sort of tantrum dynamic, which I think is well done. Yes. Because it's like not her normal. Like there's things she encounters all the time that probably make her angry, but it's like just so different when it's her dad and she's like, come on. Yes. <laughs> it's different than like confronting other criminals who have done things to people she knows that also make her angry. But yeah, this is a very specific reaction. Yeah. <laughs> so out in the hall, Jack <laughs> persuades her that he really needs his her help on the case because how can he investigate someone who is so wily that he outsmarted Miss Fisher herself. And then she's like, he didn't outsmart me. And then Jack, who's like, who I might add, is like lounging very sexily, like against the stairwell. He's just sort of leaning <laughs> his hand on his hip and his other hand on the stairwell, like watching her be angry. It's so great. He's leaning. He's leaning. He's doing that lean, yeah. Okay, I need very quickly, just a quick aside to discuss the fact that in Jack's interview on the Miss Fisher Files, he they they referenced this lean the the leaning um like compilation thing that was done do you remember that yes i do remember that yeah. obviously and he was like oh i've seen it i'm familiar <laughs> yes. with it yes <laughs> what <laughs> i love that so much yeah anyway i don't even i mean i have a lot of questions but anyway um <laughs> so miss fisher agrees to cool down and stay on the case and they go back into the room where um 
the Baron immediately suggests that they use first names with one another. Um, oh, to Jack, yeah. <laughs> which is so ridiculous because Jack doesn't use first names with anyone. <laughs> but Not that's even... part of the Baron's charm, you know. Call I me headphones. Yeah. But it's like the way he's just like, Jack, call me Henry. It's like so inappropriate, I think. Well, I think that Henry has identified that Jack and Franny are very interested in each other. And he's trying to like become chummy with what is potentially his future son-in-law. Perhaps. Or he tries to become chummy with everyone so that he can manipulate them. (laughs) Also that, yes. Also probably more likely. Yeah. Um, So then... Also, I'll just note that Enid... It's, like, so awkward when, like, like, imagine this. You're made at a hotel. You have had a liaison with, like, a, a sort of dashing older foreign gentleman. And then suddenly you're having champagne mid-morning and his daughter walks in with a policeman. Yeah, it's very awkward. It's he very awkward. awkward. And, you know, I do have to say that I, I recognize that Miss Fisher cannot be probably unbiased in the situation involving her father, but... As Enid sort of slinks out of the room and goes down the stairs, the look she gives her is so scathing. And you would think that normally Miss Fisher would be a friend to the sort of down and out hotel maid who's just, you know, engaging in some morally questionable behavior. You know, that's Miss Fisher's bread and butter. Yeah, but now when it comes to your dad. (laughs) Yeah. He's he's married. (laughs) Yup. Yeah. (sighs) Um, so they really very quickly start yelling at each other again. Um, all we learn is that the Baron claims he borrowed the bag from her house and all that was in it was just some extra shirt collars and socks. Um, and oh, a bit of cash as well that he kept back from the money that he was supposed to wire to his wife. Um, just, you know, in with the socks. Ten thousand pounds. <laughs> oh, and maybe the Mauser. Hmm. So Miss Fisher is once again irate and Jack has to haul her out of the room for a quote intermission. (laughs) (sighs) Uh, So then next up, we witness a very shady looking quote serviceman cutting through a bunch of wires on the outside of the building and then uh, trying to waltz into the hotel claiming to be the telephone repair man. Which works shockingly well. Well, mostly because he's just cut the telephone wires. So. Also, someone told me once, basically, you put on a hard hat and have a toolbox and you can walk in to anywhere and no one will question you. So, <laughs> Oh, I've heard that as well, actually, from a, a former co-worker of mine when I was a camp counselor. He was also sort of 15 minutes of fame for being on like a The Bachelor when they did Average Joes. Anyway, hmm. this guy always said to me, all you need is a clipboard. If you yep. have a clipboard, maybe a hard hat, you can do anything you want. So Well, this is that whole plot device in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel where Susie walks around with a plunger the, like, the whole summer. At that summer that's true. That's summer true. Resort, and no one ever catches on. Well, this old coworker of mine used, um, he used this trick to put a name tag on the Paul Bunyan statue in Bemidji, Minnesota. <laughs> they just had tag. clipboards and they were like, yep, we're just here just doing some work on the statue, which is huge. And they, they put a they put a name tag on it that said Paul. <laughs> That's really funny. Yep. <sighs> well, anyway, <laughs> this man was not up to pranks. He was up to murder. So yeah, more than one murder. The, the moral of the story is, you know, maybe ask for identification for service people that come. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so then also Enid steps up to the front desk and um, produces some tips, quote, from room 23. So I guess the Baron has been giving her cash tips and she's turning them over to Mrs. Cobb. She's kind of shitty. Confused. She's earning the tips. Why would she have to turn them over? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. But then they, they reference that it might be the last they're going to get out of him, given his run of luck last night, indicating that he's lost at cards, which he has. Yep. All of it. Yep. <laughs> he, in fact, is out of cash. It's also, also uh, going back to the, the repairman, she literally gives him all the keys to the building. Not just the key he needs, the whole key ring. And he has yeah. it for hours because he still has it later that night. And you, Genevieve, as a former office manager, know more than the average person about keeping an office space secure or a, pl- a place of business. And let me tell you, you don't hand out keys willy-nilly. You would never do that. No. You're also familiar with police investigating crimes at your place of business. <laughs> this is no, true. No murders, though. No murders. <laughs> there was that pigeon that died, but it wasn't a murder. Oh, the one outside the window? Yeah. That was horrible. Ah, uh, I don't want to talk about that on the podcast. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, but yes, the moral of the story is... If you now I'm forgetting how the guy got into the building or no, yes. he broke a came, window. He, he, he came in windows. up the fire escape and came in the window in the yep. environment America section of the office. Yeah. Broke the window and then got in the service elevator to get to the GameStop. And because the elevator locked, got trapped in the GameStop. But first he went through everybody's desk drawers. Yes. And stole like one external hard drive, the most valuable thing in that office. <laughs> That's my favorite thing about the whole story is that he stole nothing because there was literally nothing of value in that nonprofit office. <laughs> An external hard drive. That was that was it. That was it. Yeah. There might have been like some headphones or something. There's like other stuff in there, but. And then he was caught immediately anyway. So. Yes. But it took forever to get the evidence back from the police. So. Ugh. Anyways. Anyway. Okay. So suddenly the um, constable Martin unexpectedly asks Dot for help, admitting that he has a lot to learn. I'm, I like this turnaround. Yes, although I think he has ulterior motives. Yeah, his motives are shady on multiple his, fronts. His motives are not pure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's kind of cute anyways. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, uh, up on the roof, some theories are being tossed around. And Miss um, Fisher slides down that laundry chute. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, I just would not do that, but... I'm not Miss Fisher. Oh, yeah. Although, you know, when I was a kid, I went to daycare at a, at a house that had a laundry chute, and I was obsessed with wanting to slide down that laundry chute. I would ask about it every day. It was I couldn't <laughs> imagine anything more fun than sliding down that laundry chute. I was not allowed. Well, I just, like, what if you hit some, I guess if it's in use, you're not going to hit an obstruction, and you're just going to end up in the pile of laundry. But, like, this is from the roof of that hotel to the basement. Like, she would have picked up some speed. Yeah, it would have been like when... You know, Harry, Hermione, and Ron slid down the chamber of into the chamber of secrets. Yeah, she's lucky there wasn't a like um a plant. What was the plant called? I can't remember. Devil's snare. The devil's snare at the bottom. Yeah. Oh yeah. See, that wasn't the chamber of secrets. That was uh the first the first book, Sorcerer's Stone. Oh Dawn. yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, this is not a Harry Potter podcast, but I will take us there. Um. <laughs> Anyway, she's lucky that what was down there was a bunch of laundry. Yeah, what if it had been empty? She would have just hit the 
floor like at speed. Yeah, yeah. And the kind of reconstructive surgery she would have needed for her ankles would not have been available in 1928. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she got lucky. She got lucky because there were clues down there. <laughs> yes, immediately. Uh, Jack took the stairs, but he found her sitting in the laundry chute holding some pound notes, pleased as punch. Although, I guess if you threw a lot of cash down a laundry chute, some some would be bound to escape, even if most of it stayed together in a bundle. Yeah. I'm a little surprised, though, that Enid didn't do a better job of cleaning all that up, you know? Yeah, like, you'd want all the cash. But she did seem very jumpy. I think she's very nervous about the cash. Yeah, I mean, she's a sexually harassed hotel maid. She's probably jumpy in many things. I, I assume sexually harassed. I don't know. I mean... <laughs> yeah, I mean... Yeah, we don't. Get, it seemed consensual, but I don't know. But anyway. Like, yeah, <laughs> Next up, uh, Jack and Franny are questioning the proprietor of the hotel, Mrs. Cobb, who seems pretty prickly. Um, we learned that the grand is not as grand as it once was. It's come down a bit in the world. And um, the Mrs. Cobb is just very reluctant to be questioned at all. Won't give up any information. Um and she has to serve lunch, blah, blah, blah. But she agrees uh, that if Dot watches the front desk, she'll do it. Um, so Dot and Constable Martin quickly begin copying down all the names in the guest book during this time. <laughs> we also learned, because Jack is, like, doing some light threatening here about how maybe if she does, she won't talk to them at the hotel, they can go down to the station. And he brings up several police raids that were all misunderstandings. But Just a there's misunderstanding. Maybe, maybe been some trouble with the police. <laughs> so while Jack and Miss Fisher wait for Mrs. Cobb to serve the luncheon, um, Miss Fisher regales him with the tale of the Baron wooing her mother. Uh, so he apparently used to sneak them into the hotel through the kitchen and addled her senses with waltzes. Uh, one whirl in his arms forced all reason from her head, apparently. You know, I've never waltzed with someone, so I guess I have. I, that could be true. I have no way of saying it's not true. I don't think that I have either. Would be unlikely. <laughs> it's um, not like you're not waltzing at the club. You're not waltzing at a school dance. You're not waltzing at a wedding. There's no opportunity to waltz these days. That's all unless, I'm saying. Yeah, unless you join a ballroom dance team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, which I'm not going to do. Real no, talk. No, very <laughs> unlikely that I will ever do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Mrs. Cobb shows up for questioning, um, admits that the robber was probably a staff member and Enid was still cleaning up to that point in the evening. So that's a lead. It's a clue. Um, so next up, the fake telephone man is seen using his keys to get into one of the guest rooms. Is it room 23? Yes, it is. It is. So he rifles through the Baron's suitcase, finds his passport, and pockets it, along with Miss Fisher's business card. And outside the door, Enid is being questioned a little brusquely by Jack and Franny. She claims she went to the Baron's room last night after the last dance, but it wasn't like that. They were just friends. Like that. He's all alone, and he doesn't have anyone here. He's and he's been through a lot of troubles in his life, and he just needed a shoulder to cry on. The look on Friday's face when she's talking about that is priceless. <laughs> like, um, oh, he's yeah. had a lot of trouble in his life. Okay. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Oh, he needed a shoulder to cry on. Uh huh. Yeah. Yep. 
And she's also wearing an expensive necklace, which for any comments on, which I assume is meant to be is implied as a gift from the Baron. Yeah. Um, so he's clearly completely hoodwinked Enid here. Um, and then they almost go into the Baron's room where that shady guy is hiding. But in the end, Enid says the Baron has gone off to the races. So we're saved that confrontation. Mrs. Cobb gave him one of her tips. Mm. So then uh, after they leave, Enid quickly pulls the thing that she put in the cupboard out. And uh, the man sees her do this. So once again, uh, Mrs. Cobb does not want to be questioned uh, about the gambling habits of her guests. Uh, And Dot and Constable Martin have found a code in the back of the ledger, which pertains to a legal card game. So obviously Mrs. Cobb is lying. Uh, she's, well, she's, like, she's like, I don't know anything about cards. I don't even know a club from a spade. And then they like, <laughs> see like her notes <laughs> with clubs and spades in the notes. Yeah, she's absolutely nice running try. a gambling racket. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so from this, they deduce that uh, they need to find a Polish man named Carol Walensky. <laughs> um, and he is immediately found threatening the Baron and also Enid. He's so strange looking. This is why I, I, I'm fascinated by him. And the first the first time I watched this episode, I thought he was the murderer because they're kind of leading up to that. Or they're like making you think in that direction. And I didn't want him to be because he's so delightfully strange. Like his hands are enormous and his face is so gaunt. I just like he's so tall. And I don't know. He's such a fascinating. He could have been the ghost of the Grand Hotel. Yes. <laughs> he does kind of look like a ghost. So there is something I never really understand in this scene and other scenes. Is It seems to be implied that Enid is up to something other than just having found this money. Because, like, I think Carol in this scene says you says to her, you betrayed me. And I don't know what that is supposed to mean. Oh, interesting. I didn't catch that. Maybe he was actually saying it to the Baron, but it was confusing to me. Well, I think he's saying it to the Baron because the Baron told him, look, I'll pay you in the morning when I can get to the safe because they don't open the safe at night. And then he was like, oh, the money got stolen. Yeah. Okay. But then later he says, the Carol says to the Baron, she's not your lady friend. And what does that mean? Because Carol can't know necessarily that she has the money. No, he wouldn't know that she had the money. I don't know. So that's an unanswered question for me. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah, it's almost like if there was some scene that got cut where carol and enid like have a conversation or something yeah you know in our last episode sarah really put me onto this idea that there might be cut scenes that would elucidate some of these like plot lines that are confusing (laughs) because my other question was in this like they say like friny when she figures out that or when she's surmising that enid took the money she's like well it wouldn't have been frank or it wouldn't have been Carol that stole the money because he would have just run off. But I was like, why didn't Enid, Enid just run off when she got the money? Why did she stay around for another day? Yeah, I wonder about that too. It's like, I would have just gone that night. You know, I would have been out of there. And I was trying to decide, I'm like, was it supposedly she grappling with whether she would give the money back to Henry because he had like told her this sob story about not having any money? Like maybe that was what she was just like trying to decide. And then she decides to just take it for herself. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think she was ever planning to give it to him. But yeah, I don't know. Um. Yeah. Well, so anyway, they take 
Carol Valensky back to the station and question him. I just have in my notes what a creep, which was a reference to his very creepy appearance. It's so del- <laughs> it's so wonderful though. Yeah, it is. It's good. It's good. Um, and then I have noted Miss Fisher speaks Polish now. Yes, of course, of course. Which she does. yeah. So I thought that was going to be the school of the week. I was wrong. Um, <laughs> uh, so she puts out her theory that he was gambling with the Baron last night and the Baron wouldn't pay up and turns out it's true, but oh, surprise, the money was stolen this morning. So not a ton learned there. Yeah. Well, except we confirmed that there was in fact a game of poker where the money indeed. was. Indeed. Um, so next the Baron is questioned and he claims that Valensky is a cheater who was brought in by Mrs. Cobb and yes, the 10,000 pounds are gone. <laughs> Uh, but he bristles at the idea that he is a suspect in this case. Um, but Miss Fisher privately recounts to Jack that she does think her father might be capable of such a thing because there was a time when she was younger that she heard her father arguing with someone in the night. And the next morning there was a news report that a man, a man of that description was found floating in the Thames. But she never talked to him about it. Never I brought also it. was trying to figure out, like, how old was she supposed to be when she overhears this? I did a lot of mental math, and the crime was in 1916, right? Yes. yes that's what they say later in the episode. And we, it's 1928 now, so this was 12 years earlier. Maybe it's 1929. I'm not sure if we've had a Christmas, a New Year. I think it's 28, because the movie's in 29. Okay, yeah. So we're talking 12 years earlier. If we want to say she's 40, which is seems a little on the young side, then she would have been 28. So maybe she's, like, home. But if she was 28, she would have, like, I don't know. Well, that's in today's world that she would have moved out. Well, I just mean she would have been more aware of what was going on. Oh, yeah. Because it, 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 it's, like, told as if it's, like, a childhood memory. And when I first watched it without, like, paying as close attention to the date, I imagined that it was, like, she was a kid and she heard this. But then, no, it's, like, she was an adult already. And it was the war. I don't know. Anyways. Yeah. I don't know. Um. So then... In the is interlude in the intervening time, uh, Dot and Constable Martin are searching through Mrs. Cobb's office and they break into a drawer. <laughs> um, they find a box, but just as they're doing this, Mrs. Cobb is heard coming into the office. So they pretend to be kissing when she walks in and she totally buys this ruse. Uh, I just they're pretending. I think they're really guessing. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's like, does he kiss her on the cheek? Or is it's, it's sort of the corner of the mouth. And she's like frozen in place, like, oh, I'm not doing this. Um, And then outside, he apologizes for taking the liberty. But at the same time, he's definitely sneaking something into his back pocket. So he's like, oh. this guy is shady. <laughs> well, yeah, shady or just a little bit not, not on the up and up. He's, yeah, unscrupulous. <laughs> Um, so back at the station, Jack asks Constable Martin to investigate this mysterious man in the Thames to find the police record of this crime. Um, and Martin brings up the sneaky letters that he took from the box. I assume he was hoping for praise from Jack, but then he's subjected to a lecture about how he can't just be breaking into places without a search warrant. Um, that's what this fisher is for. <laughs> yeah, duh. <laughs> um, so Jack insists that he return the letter to Miss Williams. <laughs> That's um, so funny. Yes. So. And Neville uh, also says in this scene that, that, that like, uh, 
Jack says something about how, like, Miss Williams is very intelligent, like, she'll know what to do. And Neville's like, yes, and she's very pretty, too. <laughs> it's like, oh, my right. God, yes. And the look on Jack's face is unmissable. <laughs> like, the, 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 just the, the moment of, like, ugh, that he does is, <laughs> is priceless. Uh, so Constable Martin does immediately go to Miss Fisher's house to return the letter to Dot, and he apologizes. Um, she accepts his apology because he's done the right thing by coming clean, and she offers to send it back to the station with some biscuits. <laughs> and he gets really up in her personal space for a second. Yeah, they have a faces close together moment. Yeah. Dan was incredulous. He was like, is this sexual tension happening between these two? And I was like, unclear, unclear. I think it is. I think it is. I think so, too. And Mr. Butler sees it, and he nope. doesn't like it. I don't see. I don't know. I think they're all just, I don't know. Like, they're, Hugh just, right. like, up and left. I, like, I think in the end, it's good that Todd gets back together with Hugh. But I'm just saying, I don't think it was a bad thing that she has a little, like, mini romance with Constable Martin. Yeah. And where is Hugh? Why is he? Where's he gone? He just he just disappears. That's what I mean. It's not it's not a good look for Hugh right now. So, you know, this other fellow's coming in. And I think, <laughs> you know, I think he he, you know, he's not quite on the up and up, but I give him credit for going after what he wants. That's true. And yeah, you know, I like that he it, whatever his motives are, you know, he comes around to the idea that Dot is smarter and more capable of him and has something that than him and has something to teach him. He comes around to that idea a lot faster than Hugh. Yeah. Yeah. He so. absolutely does. And he catches on to the fact that Dot is a pretty like eligible young lady a lot faster than Hugh does too, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because Dot had to ask Hugh to the dance yeah. initially. Whereas and Neville's just like, Oh, you're pretty. I like you. And I'm going to tell spilling, you that. Yeah. yeah. He's spilling his guts. He's like, he's ready for action. I kind of, anyway. I don't know. I respect it. I respect it. I respect the, the you know, the game yeah, there. Yeah, I respect it as well. Um, So then, and, you know, and I don't think Dot would have sent him with those biscuits if she wasn't a little interested, you know? She's, yeah, that's uh, what Mr. Butler's face says. Yeah, you're right. You're right. A little side plot for Dot. I wonder what Sarah's boyfriend thought about it. Oh, yeah. We'll have to message mm. her. Yeah. <laughs> um, we should get to come on the podcast. <laughs> Um, so then, uh, next up, Aunt P comes by for an update, uh, which is that the money is pretty much gone, and the Baron might also be a murderer, so bad news. <laughs> um, oh, we also see that the creepy man is lurking outside and holding right. Briny's card that he found in the Baron's suitcase. Right, yes. Um, so then, at this point, Dot comes in with a pile of letters that Constable Martin has just returned to her. Uh, it turns out to be love letters from Frank to Mrs. Cobb. It would appear that they were having an affair, but it ended not two days ago. Right before he was killed. Hmm. Suspicious. <laughs> or is it? <laughs> <laughs> Could it be a red herring? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so in order to investigate this new development, Aunt P, Dot, and Miss Fisher arrive at the Grand for the Twilight Waltz, which Aunt P was a lot more excited about than uh, it was warranted by what <laughs> it's like when she arrives there. <laughs> so my thought on this, this Twilight Waltz, is that there's, okay, we've already discussed how there's no opportunity to waltz, but there's also just like no dances anymore. Like always in period dramas, a turning point in the plot happens at a dance or a ball or some sort of event. And that's just, those days are gone. 
And I don't know how any of us get through our lives without some momentous occasion happening at a ball. That is so true. And, you know, I think it's just people are meeting on the Internet now when they could be meeting over waltzes, you know? It's just different times. And frankly, how do you solve a murder if you can't show up at a ball and spy on people? I don't know. I don't know. I And I've been trying to solve murders this whole time. And I have had no luck, which I think just goes to show that you have to go to a dance. Yeah, there's just not enough dances. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, <laughs> this is a great scene. I love this scene. Um, <laughs> so on Pete has she pulls some real gems out here. And this really reminds me of those just like those rare moments when an elderly relative says things that just give you a glimpse into the past that you don't normally get you know it's like you're just like having a drink with your aunt and all of a sudden she's like well yes I mean your mother was dating that man at the time that no one liked and everyone was trying to tell her that she should break up with him and you're like what excuse me what uh please please mm? say more (laughs) 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 it's also like she she also does the thing where I've seen elderly relatives do this, where they just say the thing out loud, really loud in front of everyone that needs to be said, that no one else is saying it. And they're like, I am too old to not say this thing right now that needs to be said. And I'm just going to say it. And I love it when that happens. Yes. What, what is it that she says when she walks into the room and she says it so loudly? I forget. Well, she well she like gets into an altercation with Henry and she's she's well she says that she was here when he proposed but she arrived too late <laughs> to stop. Oh yeah. But she also says I'm already skating on the edge of social ruin oh, simply yeah. by being yeah. here. <laughs> but she says something else right when she walks into the room for the first time but she's like it's not what it was. <laughs> like yeah, I forget. It's not the same as it used to be. I don't remember the exact line but yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Good stuff. Um, well, pre-altercation, Dot distracts Mrs. Cobb by claiming that she needs dancing lessons for her wedding, which is definitely not to Constable Martin, but that's what Mrs. Cobb thinks. Um, it's so funny. And Dot is, like, about to correct her, and then it's just like, no. It's like, no, I think it's, I think it's worse if I correct her. Yeah. <laughs> definitely worse. Oh, that yeah. man I was kissing in her office? Not my fiancé. <laughs> that's the man who's trying to take my fiance's job my fiance himself has gone missing (laughs) it's just a lot there you don't want to go into a lot there andy was converting to catholicism and his mother kicked him out of the house she just leaves all that unsaid um (laughs) but mrs cobb does not leave anything unsaid and immediately admits that her last love interest she had to fire because he broke up with her because she was too old she's just that's rough frank yeah, that's rude. Couldn't he have made up some kind of lie or just been less of a prick? Yeah. Because, mm. like, Mrs. Cobb is obviously a capable manager. She's, like, pretty good looking. He didn't need to He didn't need to do that. She owns a business. He's just yeah. a concierge. Come on. Yeah, but he talked her into the whole legal gambling thing, so he probably thought he was all high and mighty. Yeah, well, we all see how that went for him. Anyway. <laughs> yes dead yep so with mrs cobb distracted miss fisher sneaks off to a back room which is clearly where the card games are happening um and at this point dan turned to me and asked what is miss fisher's workout routine (laughs) (laughs) he also said and i quote she's a real babe (laughs) i see 
now why Dan has started watching with you. <laughs> he was wondering if the workout, and then I thought he meant like, what is Essie Davis's workout routine, which I assume is like Pilates or whatever. But no, he meant Miss Fisher Lady Detective because he was like, do you think it involves like scurrying across rooftops, climbing fences, you know? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, because she's very physically fit. Her arms are jacked. And she's able to to accomplish, like, pretty impressive physical feats. She yeah. must work out all the time. But we never see her working out. Maybe it's just on the job, you know? I don't think you get arms like that just with the occasional, you know, clamber into a window. You definitely don't. <laughs> that's, like, that's a lot of a lot of strength work. <laughs> in yeah. In between the, the nighttime escapades. Accurate. Yeah. Well, um, any, anyway... <laughs> I also, so both Dot and and Essie, Phryne, look amazing in what they're wearing. Like, amazing. Like, Phryne's, like, green, shimmery cape thing in that evening gown is beautiful. Yeah, they do. And is Dot is wearing, like, that pink Mm -hmm. dress. Yeah. They're just, uh, they're looking good. And and another example of what a travesty it is that we don't get to go to balls anymore because we can't, we don't get to dress up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you ever read All Creatures Great and Small? Ooh, like when I was a kid, maybe my mom read it. It's about the vet. Yeah, but it, there's just there's a part where it, maybe it's in the sequel or the next one, but it, it describes how he met his wife and he like asked her to go t- to dinner and dancing. I think it was like the it was some hotel that had dancing, and then it's just like it's like a just a complete and utter fiasco where like his his tuxedo doesn't fit, and then he like gets a flat tire. And he has to, like, go change it in the mud. And then, like, his pant legs are all, like, wet. And then they dry and they're all wrinkly. So he's wearing <laughs> these, like, wrinkled bell bottoms, sort of. And anyway, but then they arrive at the hotel and there's no dancing, actually. <laughs> and they look ridiculous. So I don't know. It's just really not important. But I remember as a kid thinking, like, why would he wear a tuxedo on a <laughs> To date? a hotel. <laughs> yeah. So weird. But that must have just been normal yeah. for the see, time. See, what there needs to be more dances. So now it's like, oh, you go for dinner and dancing. Like what? You're going to a club and getting all sweaty. That's not, it's not the same. It's not nearly as classy. No. Maybe I do need to join a like ballroom dancing club. <laughs> yeah. But the outfits you wear for that are like totally different. They're like those weird, really revealing dresses. You know what I mean? Really? Yeah. Haven't you seen oh. Silver Linings Playbook? No. No. <laughs> well, it's a, it's basically about a ballroom dance competition and oh. a whole lot of other things. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, I'm probably going to need to cut all of that. <laughs> um, OK, so um, she quickly discovers Miss Fisher in this back room quickly discovers evidence of cheating, which, <gasps> yeah, dun dun. <laughs> Uh, so there's like a little peephole with a telescope kind of behind it so that the cards can be seen from behind the wall. And then there's like a little uh, plate on the floor. Um, and we also see in the scene that this shady telephone repairman is there and he's helping her to, to get through doors with his many keys. He, he got those keys literally hours ago. And Mrs. Cobb never thought, oh, I sh- gave those keys to that guy and he still doesn't come back. It's does- now evening. Doesn't she need them? Yeah, it makes no sense. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, so then back in the ballroom, Aunt P and the Baron have some words. <laughs> this is so, so. Yeah, she wants to bribe him to disappear forever, <laughs> which is not something he's willing to agree to. <laughs> and they get into this 
shouting match where she's like basically publicly bribing him to leave his wife. And then and the whole room goes silent. Oh my god. And then he's like, You have no passion. And it's like, what? Where did that come from? It's out of left field. Woman's husband is dead. Have some sympathy, man. Not his strong suit. Yeah. Anyway, Miss Fisher tells Dot that she's going to make her own way home and she storms off, presumably, to ride home in a taxi. If this were 2020, Aunt P would definitely be taking like an Uber black car. Yeah. Or would she just have a driver? I feel like she'd just have a driver. She might have a driver, yeah. Is she that rich? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Well, she has a groom. So yeah, yeah she would have a driver. Yeah. Well, I don't like, know how I don't know how rich people do it. Do they yeah, just take Uber black cars or do they have a staff person call the Uber black car for them? Well, I think it depends on how rich they are and what the event is, you know? But if she's skating on the, the edge of social ruin to be at the Twilight Wall, she probably doesn't have like her staff with her. She probably came, you know. That's true, yeah. I mean, I think if you're Beyonce, you don't ride in an Uber, you know? Beyonce definitely has a driver. Oh, Beyonce 100% has a driver. But and say, a staff person that, like, manages any need that she has. Yeah. But say that you're Nathan Page, you probably take an Uber. Yeah. 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 Or don't you sort of imagine that Nathan Page rides everywhere on his bicycle? That is exactly what I thought as soon as I said the word yeah. Uber. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, I revise. Kate McKinnon takes an Uber. Okay, yes. Yeah. Well, I don't know. She's been in some movies. Anyway, <laughs> we're on a real tangent. Do you follow Nathan Page on Instagram? I, I love do. his Instagram. I do. He doesn't post that much, though. What he does, it's so, it, like, warms my heart. He's such, like, a normal person. Oh, yeah. I love, like, here's my, here's a view from my bike ride today. It's That's just, true. It just makes me feel all happy inside. <laughs> I loved the post he made that was just, like, his dog peeking in the window. Do you, do you remember the one I'm talking about? It was, like, implying that the dog had heard him, like, getting ready to go for a bike ride and was like, what? Is it time for a ride? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, okay. So. Here are the man cracking his knuckles, which is somehow an important clue later that she remembered from 12 years ago. Right. Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> I was thinking about that, and I, I couldn't tell you, like, a single person who cracks their knuckles. Like, that's not something I notice. Even though I crack my knuckles. I don't think I can crack my knuckles. Well, you have to, like, learn to do it, I think. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> um, so next, um, she explains to Jack what she has found in the secret cheating room. Um, secret cheating room. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a scientific term. Uh, so McNabb was watching through the secret peephole to see the opponent's cards and transmitting them through Morse code to Valensky via a panel on the floor, which is such <laughs> a elaborate scheme. How much do you think it would have cost to set all this up? Like, does he have a, a machine to send these signals? Like, what? <laughs> Well, I imagine it's just like an electric pulse that like vibrates the floor plate. I suppose. I suppose. Um, it's a very elaborate scheme, though. Yeah, it's pretty elaborate. Um, so they confront Cobb with this evidence and she just like immediately crumples. Um, Frank claims that the scheme was the best way to keep the hotel going. Uh, so she went along with it, even though she knew it was wrong. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, she was in love. Um, and then Dot and Constable Martin are observed working quite closely together. And Miss Fisher and Jack <laughs> discuss how to get Hugh back faster because clearly <laughs> Neville Constable Martin is horning in. He's, he's making his move. And you know yeah. what? More power to him. 
Yeah. I kind of wish there'd been a scene where Hugh and Neville f- have a fight over Dot and some elbows are thrown. <gasps> and then Dot intervenes and says, I get to decide. You can't win me in a fight. We need this. Why is this not in the show? Oof, I guess we'll have to write fan fiction. Yeah. <laughs> not the same. Not the Anyways. Same. <laughs> um, so Miss Fisher immediately formulates a plan uh, to arrange a card game with Valensky. Um, he doesn't play cards with women. That is. I do not play cards with women. And neither do I. So respect to that position. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you only play cards with men. I only play cards with interdimensional beings who have ascended to a higher plane of existence. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Impressive. Yeah. So, so anyway, Valensky is happy to play cards with Miss Fisher when he sees her big stack of papers that she whips out. She's carrying around a lot of cash. <laughs> well, she says something like, it's a shame. My money is just as good as any man's. <laughs> like pulls out this like cash, a lot of cash, like several inches tall. It's like, okay, Friday. <laughs> Turns out it's all ones. <laughs> um, and then he, she plays or pretends like she's just a total novice, which is so silly because why would she want to do this in the first place if she didn't know how to play cards? It's clearly a trick. Yes. <laughs> um. So then she asks to inspect the cards and does all kinds of like dealer tricks with them, which should indicate that like she's a pro. Yeah. Um, and then she ostentatiously plugs the peephole in the wall, indicating that she knows about the scheme. And but uh would he have just been able to pull that through from the other side? Yeah, that's a very good point. I didn't even think of that. Huh. Like she just sticks a handkerchief in there. I mean, I guess they would have, it would have been, ob- she was doing it just to be obvious. Like, I know what you're up to and I'm not falling for it. Yeah. But I guess she could have shielded the cards too. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> or maybe the hole in the wall was thicker and he wouldn't have been able to reach it. But you know what? I don't think they put that much thought into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The point is that she wanted to let him know that he couldn't cheat her. Like, he yeah. Else. The point is prepare to get wrecked, Valensky. <laughs> So during said wrecking, um, the Baron stops by Enid's room to visit her. Uh, She appears to be ready to make a run for it. She's going to head back home and get over the Baron since she knows he's spoken for. Yeah, I bet. Uh (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I have to get out of here for my feelings and for this wad of cash I have. I need to go nurse uh, my broken heart and this 10,000 pounds I've stolen. <laughs> I just have a lot of pounds that require a lot of care and feeding. Mm. So definitely I will need to leave my job. <laughs> Goodbye. When next you see me, I will be wearing much more expensive clothes. Um, Although her dress is really nice. I really like it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Honestly, I also kind of liked her maid's uniform. I did too. Yeah. Yeah. She had good clothes. Um, so anyway, uh, the Baron says, well, if you're leaving, you need a good send off. And I have the cash to take us to a place that serves sly grog all night. So I don't know. Where did he get that cash from? Are we supposed to? Yeah, who knows? Maybe he wanted at the racetrack. Yeah, I bet he did. That's probably what mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so she tells him that she will meet him downstairs when she finishes packing, which I believe is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so back at the poker game, Miss Fisher has cleaned out Valensky 
and gotten him to agree to bet the IOU from her father so that she can win back that debt. And she does. She wins. Is she cheating? How is she doing that? She, she's Miss Fisher. She's just really good at poker. Yeah. She's the James Bond of Australia. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so Valensky is furious about this, and he attacks the Baron outside the hotel, uh, saying that it's pathetic that he needs his daughter to win his battles for him. Which, like, fair enough. It is pretty pathetic. It is. Yeah, it's pretty sad. It's pretty sad. <laughs> um, but the Baron has the Mauser, so he gets Valensky off him pretty quick. And he runs him off, but not before Valensky says this confusing line, she's not your lady friend. So what does that mean? What's Enid up to? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> that's that. But maybe she double-crossed Valensky? There's nothing. They do not establish this link. Yeah, there must be a deleted scene. Unless Valensky is just alluding to the fact that, like, he knows the Baron is married and he's just, like, having a a lame dalliance with his maid who's just after his money. Yeah, that could be it, too, and we're just reading way more into it. And it could just be, yeah, Valensky's trying to, like, insult him by saying, like, yeah, nice. Like, you're a lady friend, sure. It's confusing, though. Yeah. Or does Valensky see Enid leaving? I don't think we see that, though. He sees something because we see Enid walking out and then Valensky behind her lights a cigarette. Like, indicating that he's... So maybe that is what he means. Like, oh, yeah, she's not, like, she's not coming to meet you. (laughs) I saw her leaving. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forget that we do see him because we see him and the creepy man. Or we see him and it's like they're still just leading us to believe that he's the murderer, but he's not. Yeah, so maybe that's all it is. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Well, on the lady friend front, uh, Miss Fisher witnesses an altercation on the roof where Enid is attacked. Um, Miss Fisher fires her gun at the attacker, but he runs off before anyone can identify him. Um, So this... Brings us to the theory that Enid was there the night of the murder, found the money in the laundry chute, and she had it in her suitcase, um, but she has unfortunately been killed. Yes. Also, and, they're not on the roof because he runs off like into oh, the street. Right. Yeah. I don't know where they are. I don't know why I assumed roof. <laughs> no, I did it first, too, because I think it's because it looks like exactly like the beginning. But they must be on the ground because he like runs off into the night. Yeah, you're right. Um, also, the attacker has dropped the Baron's passport, so it's clearly the shady telephone man. Which, like, conveniently, he drops it. Like, how, how, how does he drop it? Yeah, <laughs> these people, they need better pockets, they need yeah. zippers or buttons or something. Like, when have you ever put your passport in an unsecure location? Literally never. Yeah, if I have my passport on me, I'm checking that it's still there in his inside zipper pocket Every five minutes. I mean, I know it's there, but just check. Gotta check. Gotta check. (laughs) Um. So next up, down in the lobby, uh, Cobb says, Mrs. Cobb says that the Baron was upset about Enid's murder and has challenged someone to a duel at the Botanic Gardens, aided by a couple of cabbies. Must be Bert and Seth, (laughs) which we haven't seen yet this episode. So yeah. so that's someone turns out to be Valensky. Um, so, Pistols at dawn. Pistols at dawn. Yeah. So ridiculous. Uh, so as he's preparing to duel, he says to Bert that if he's killed, 
to tell Franny he's sorry for everything, the whole sad lot of it, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, which is like a sort of a nice sentiment, but too well too late. It would be nice to hear, I think, probably. Because yeah. I'm sure he's never expressed any remorse otherwise. Right. Um, so Valensky fires early before the countdown is finished, but miss misses, and um the Baron is about to shoot him, but Miss Fisher arrives just in time to prevent disaster. Uh, Valensky's not the killer, and she needs his help to discover who the real one is. Um, so the Baron just shoots off Valensky's hat. It's very dramatic. I actually kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because I think, you know, it's a clue that he's probably nearly as multi-talented as she is. He just mm-hmm. uses powers for not good, but mm, vice. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And um, maybe not as talented as she is, because, well, no, the, the poker, he was he was cheated out of his money, so. Yeah, yeah. She does seem to be better with money than him. Yeah, that's for sure. In general. Yeah. Um. So then, back at the station, the Baron is questioned again, and he is uncooperative and unhelpful, Um. refuses to give up any details about who this mysterious murderer could be yeah because it's like obviously someone that is after him because it's someone with an english accent who like stole his passport was trying to get his money it's very suspicious who could yeah, it be who could it be and he knows but he's not saying right and friday's like says to jack like he's afraid of this person which is interesting yeah um so sort of back uh, there's a, a a back and forth between at the house at the station because Constable Martin has called Dot on the telephone and he is spilling his guts about how he loves her and you know she's engaged but she's not married yet so does he have a chance and just just please just give him a chance <laughs> and, he's, like, he's just like so he's just doing this at work too which is so funny oh god yes and uh <laughs> she Dot is not having it um she would never leave Hugh, even if Hugh never came back. Her heart would remain true, which, like, please, Dot, let her believe that for a minute. She's just saying that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but while Martin is distracted by all of this, the Baron sneaks off, so. <laughs> um, and in the next moment, this mysterious shady telephone guy sneaks up and grabs Dot from behind. He's been in the house the whole time, so. Da-dun! Imagine you're about to take someone hostage and tie them up. And first you have to listen to their inane telephone (laughs) conversation. Well, my boyfriend is gone on a trip. But despite that, I would still remain true to him, even if he never came back. And I would never get married to anyone else. And I don't want to go out with you. And you're just listening to this. And you're like, oh, I have a hostage situation to unfold here. I need to take you hostage. Just get off the phone. <laughs> if you're dealing with a teenage girl, it could be hours, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, um, at the station, Jack is telling Franny that the Baron is most likely not guilty of what Franny thought was this murder during the war because the altercation was with a man who does not match the description of the actual body found, but she realizes that it does match the um the appearance of the shady telephone guy who was also cracking his knuckles like millions of people the world over but okay friday <laughs> no it could literally be no one else <laughs> yeah 
Also, have the phones just not been working this entire time? Because he cut the wires. <laughs> yeah, and presumably he didn't fix them. <laughs> it's been like two days. Well, I think it all happens the same day. Does it? Well, because so. it's like pistols at dawn, so that's the next morning. But that we anyway. don't see him in the hotel after that. That's true, but he clearly cut the wires, and I'm sure he did not fix them because he's not, in fact, from the telephone company. Right. So he right. just was there all day and fixed nothing, and so the hotel still has no phone service. Right. <laughs> and they anyway. never figure out that he was. Yeah. Anyways, whatever. Yes. Anyway, uh, so at this moment, Constable Martin bursts in crying. Oh, poor kid. And tenders his resignation. He wants to go back to where he came from. Uh, but at this moment, Aunt P calls under obvious duress, urging Miss Fisher to come home for lunch because shepherd's pie is being served. But Friday knows something is wrong because Prudence she, hates shepherd's pie. She hates shepherd's pie. Yeah. Although... I thought that in Australia they called shepherd's pie cottage pie, so I'm confused. Well, did we go into this before in the episode where they have the picnic in the closet? Yeah, we did go into this before, and I thought we resolved it with, like, some people call it shepherd's pie, some people call it cottage pie, and it's, like, a regional difference. Wasn't one with lamb and one with beef? Oh, was it? (laughs) I don't actually remember. I remember talking about it, but I... I clearly never learn anything because I don't remember and I would have to look it up again. Shockingly unprepared. Shockingly unprepared. I know. I know. (laughs) (sighs) Um, So then Miss Fisher knows something is wrong. She rushes back to the house, um, arrives gun in hand to see Dot, Mr. B and Aunt Prudence all tied up and gagged. uh, And the shady telephone man demands that she open the safe uh, and that everything she has all belongs to him now. But she stalls long enough for Jack to really clock him over the head with his gun. Just gives him a real fucking whack. Yeah, he's like bleeding out of his eyes. Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah, it's weird. (laughs) 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 But before, so he says that everything is his because he had an agreement with her father that he broke and he betrayed him. Right, yes. So this is where we kind of confirm that this is the guy who's been after her father and that presumably for years now. Yeah. So, you know, if Aunt Prudence wasn't angry with the Baron before, she's probably pretty angry now that she's been taken hostage. Yeah, maybe the Baron should reconsider that bribe because I bet it just increased. Um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Dot's like, well, geez, how many times has this happened to me? (laughs) Dot's like, just another day at the office. (laughs) Here we are again. (laughs) Yep. Uh, so I stopped taking notes, um, but I think it's just one more scene at the hotel. Or two oh, more. yeah, I still have, I took notes. Okay. Um, so at the hotel, they, so they go back to the hotel, so they knock the guy out and then go back to the hotel, um, to find Henry and he's getting ready to leave. And Friday sends Jack off and says, I need to speak to him alone. And she fills him in that they've caught this man. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And is like not giving any information about who this guy might be. And then she's like, is it the guy that was threatening you during the war? And he's like, maybe, but that was just a crazy guy. Um, And just won't say anything. And then she tells him she's rebooked his passage and Seth and Bert are taking him to Lilydale, where apparently you can't get into any trouble, but... I feel like she's misjudging her father because I feel like he's going to get into trouble with Lilydale. <laughs> yeah, I think he pretty much definitely is. But I can't remember what any of it is because it's been too long since I watched season three last. Well, you're in for a treat. Can't wait. <laughs> um, I don't know that we actually 
if he actually gets into trouble in the Middle Jail. But um, yeah. and so then Jack has wandered into the Twilight Room and is examining the phonograph and puts some music on hmm. and asks Miss Fisher to dance. This does seem premeditated, doesn't it? It's definitely premeditated. Like he's been looking through those records, and right as she walks in, he like puts it on the phonograph, turns it on. And then he asks if she wants to, to dance. And she says, Do you, are you sure you want to risk it? And she's like, I've waltzed with the best. <laughs> French presidents, American film actors. Um, he's, and she's like, the waltz is a very serious dance. And Jack says, and I'm a serious man. He is a serious <laughs> man. So good. He's very serious. Um, and Friday's like, well, my mother lost all reason when she waltzed. And then Jack says, well, if she had it, this would be a world without Friday Fisher in it. And what kind of world would that be? Aww. And then they dance the waltz, which is, there's a lot of hand-holding and waist-holding. Yes. To once again quote my friend Janet, it is the 1920s version of a sex scene. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Except they apparently don't have sex afterwards, so. No. <laughs> But it's like, what what is his motive here? Is he trying to demonstrate to her that he is interested in causing her to lose all reason? Is he is he trying to just get her to lose all reason? Is he trying to demonstrate that he is in fact wooing her in his old fashioned manner? Like what is happening? What's happening here? I think he's trying to demonstrate that he's wooing her hmm. and that he's serious about it. Yeah. Well, only the question more. is, why didn't it work? <laughs> I don't understand. She probably spotted a clue across the lawn and had to go running for it. Maybe they're just taking it slow. Yeah. Or maybe this is secretly an episode of Too Hot to Handle on Netflix. Oh, my God. Where they're not allowed to have sex. (laughs) All right. Murder recap? All right. So, Henry, Baron of Rich, took Phryne's father, took the money that Phryne gave him, 10,000 pounds, to wire back to her mother, and instead skipped his boat to England, stayed in Australia at a hotel past its prime, gambling the money away. Smart move. So he loses the money to Carol Valensky, the Polish gambler who's in on the cheating scheme at the hotel. Um, and his he has to pay him with the money that Friday gave him, but he can't access the safe until the morning. So he tells him he'll pay him in the morning. But meanwhile, a man who has been following him for years now, a mysterious villain whose identity is not revealed in this episode, has been skulking about following him. So he overhears about the money being in the safe, attacks Frank McNabb, the concierge, to open the safe and asks for him to take the bag, safe for him, and take, take the bag. But Frank gets to it first, runs away with it up to the roof, throws the money in the laundry chute before the murderer catches him. Then the murderer pushes him off the roof, only to discover that the money is not in the bag. Meanwhile, Enid the maid, who Henry is having a fling with, finds the money at the bottom of the laundry chute, takes it, hides it in a linen closet. The murderer comes into the hotel again under the guise of fixing the telephone, which gives him the keys and thus full access to the hotel. He skulks around, sees Enid take the money, steals Henry's passport, then chases Enid down as she attempts to escape, conveniently dropping Henry's passport in in this moment. Um, Maybe he was trying to, like, incriminate Henry for killing Enid? I don't know. Um, But the mysterious man kills Enid, runs off, but doesn't get the money because Friday has him at gunpoint. So he leaves, he drops the suitcase and runs off. So then he goes to Friday's house, demands the money and everything else she has, uh, but does not really explain himself because he gets knocked out by Jack before he gets a chance to explain himself. Um, So his identity remains a mystery. 
But we know that he is someone Ephraim remembers her father arguing with back in 1916 and knows that her father is afraid of him. To be continued. A real stretch, but I will buy it. To be continued. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't think they do a great job of communicating that details of this are going to resurface because the overwhelming vibe I got from it was like, oh, this was just poorly fleshed out, you know? Yeah. No, that's that's definitely it. And it's just sort of like leaves you hanging. And then I don't know that he comes back in this next episode. He co- he doesn't come back until the final episode. Because the next episode is Game, Set, and Murder. Finally. Oh, I love, I love this episode. I love this one. So excited. <laughs> great murder method. Tension is extremely high. Dot also has a great subplot. Hugh comes back. Oh, it's, it's all so good. good. Everything it's about so it is good. great. It's so good. Okay. You ready for ratings? I'm ready. Okay. Um, Best outfit of the week. So I put Dot's waltzing dress, but I actually thought everything. There's so many good outfits in this episode. Um, Friday's white pants and shirt, her hair clip that she's wearing at the end, which is like the gold leaf pattern. It's like amazing. Everything Enid wears, I really liked. Everything. I also love, so with the white pantsuit, Franny wears like a long uh, sort of pink pattern jacket. Mm-hmm. And there's a, um, on her hat, a little bit of an accent of that fabric too, which I thought was nice. Yeah, but I noticed for, that too. Yeah. And the scarf matches, I love it. But for my favorite outfit, I chose the green dress that she's wearing at the end of the episode. Oh, that yeah, she waltzes right. in. Yes. Yeah. Because it has like the drop waist, but it's not like a full waist. It just has a little gather at the dropped waist. Yeah. It's sort of like more fitted through the yeah. waist, too, which I liked. Yeah. Um, it almost looks a little bit more like 1930s to me, but I mean, I guess we're nearing the yeah. 30s. Yeah. Um, worst outfit? I couldn't really think of one, so I put Constable Martin's hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't have one either, as I frequently don't. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like in the third season, the outfits, the costumes just get so much better. Like, they're good yeah. the whole time, but they're just, like, amazing in the third season. Yeah. Um, skill of the week? Well, obviously, Card Shark. <laughs> yeah. She's, like, just an excellent poker player now. Yeah, very true. I mean, I guess... Honorable mention speaks Polish. What does she say to him? I, I don't know. They don't translate, I don't think. I'd have to scour the blogs to find out. Yeah. Um. Best week. Best week, I put the Baron. <laughs> Wait, why? Because he loses $10,000 and then his daughter gets it back for him. Yeah. I mean, he really dodges the bullet here. Yeah. I guess that's one way to look at it. <laughs> um I put okay. Dot for best week because she gets a little romance on the side. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Try a kiss with someone new. I don't know. It's all um, That's true. Yeah. She does have a pretty good week. I think that was sort of my second place was Dot. Uh what'd you have for worst week? Neville, obviously. Poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I also had Neville. Um, but you know, Almost a tie with Mrs. Cobb, who has a pretty bad week as well. That's true. Probably Mrs. Cobb has a worse week. Yeah. <laughs> when you think about it that way. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. Sexual tension? Or no, murder yeah, method. Murder method. Murder method. I put one because they're both very stupid murders. <laughs> <laughs> I put two point five, but now I'm feeling like that's too high. <laughs> But just like yeah, unnecessary and um, I don't know, 
dumb, simple. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sexual tension. I put eight, 800. 800. Because of the waltzing. Yeah. I felt like the waltzing was not actually that sexual. I don't know. I mean, like it represented, represented a move forward in the plot, but <laughs> it wasn't actually very like sexy, I guess. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't feel like there was tension. Yeah, I guess there's more just like they were flirting and then they were dancing. That's, yeah. Okay. What'd you put? What was your rating? Uh, I put six. So Six? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well. Yeah. Maybe that was a little low. Yeah, I guess I'm including the sort of like developing of their relationship and Jack being a little bit more open about his feelings. I put that as sexual tension, even though it's not the same as in the beginning where they're just like, it's like sizzles, you know? It's not quite the same. <laughs> yeah. It's not quite the same. Um, I think that's everything. That is everything. Yeah. Um, so next week, next, not next week, in two weeks, Game Set and weeks. Murder, finally. Yes. Uh, it's a great episode, and I am excited to review it. So excited. So excited. Till next time. <laughs> um, yeah, till next time. Um, I am just knee deep in Nathan Page's Instagram right now. Uh, okay, anyway, sorry, we gotta wrap this up. Um, what? Do I share something from his Instagram? Now I'm gonna pull it up too. Okay, I'm gonna send this to you. Oh, there it um, is! His puppy looking in the window at his bike. I love it so much. <laughs>